Right. It's so good to see everybody this morning. Uh, I invited my friend Matthew to come. He and I met for breakfast the other day, and he was talking to me about how God had called him to another place. Uh, as of last week, he was the uh, worship leader at Greenbrier Road Baptist, uh, but God has called him to a different place. Uh, Matthew has been an encouragement to me in so many ways. When we were talking about Simple Church, when we were talking about what God had put on my heart and how, you know, we didn't have a place, we didn't, we didn't know anything about how God was going to orchestrate all of this, uh, Matthew, he just sat across from the table from me at Chick-fil-A, just right over there, and he just smiled. He just smiled because he knew, he, he, he'd kind of been there and done that, and he knows all the fears and all the frustrations and all the worry and all of that kind of stuff, and he just smiled and he said, just do your thing, man, just do what God has called you to do, and it was so encouraging just to hear that to, from somebody that had kind of been there and done that and that sort of thing, and uh, he has just always been an encouragement to me. Uh, he has actually served uh, with the North American Mission Board as a church strengthener in Worcester, Massachusetts. I always said that wrong. It's actually spelled Worcester, but it's pronounced Worcester, Massachusetts. Am I right about that? Yep. So um, as a church strengthener, I... I not a church planter, but as a church strengthener. I think what that means is that that means they give you all the hard work. I think that's what church strengthener means. But anyway, so he has done that for a while. He came back home to be the worship leader at Greenbrier Road. And uh, now God has called him to Vermont. And him and his wife are going to share from their heart. Uh, they've got three wonderful children. One of them is up here uh, trying to talk to his dad right now, as a matter of fact. He knows the simple church way. It's very informal around here, so I love that. Yeah, so Taylor and Jacob, and then they have Julia as well. Uh, Matthew and Catherine are going to kind of speak from their heart and let you know what God has called them to do. And we want to be an encouragement to them. Uh, they've kind of put themselves out there a little bit by following God's leadership in this thing. And they don't know exactly how God's going to work out all the details, but we know that he's got a plan and he's got a purpose for everything that they're uh, going to venture into. So uh, we're just going to put our hands on them at the end of the service today and pray for them and send them on their way. Uh, Catherine's actually flying out this afternoon, is that right? And then Matthew's driving a U-Haul tomorrow morning, so uh, this is kind of like their last time. So you guys encourage them, let them know that we're, we're proud to have them here with us today. Just let them know that. All right, well, thank you so much for letting us come today. There we go. I haven't had a clicker for the times that we've spoken, so I just want to make sure I'll do that right. Okay. Well, the day has finally arrived for us to go where God is leading, and that's Montpelier, Vermont. Lots of circumstances are about to change in our lives, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our family that are being left behind here. But we know that God is constant, and he's going to see us through. And we've been here before, like Kenny said, we did go um, to Worcester, Massachusetts in October of 2007. Um, we thought it was going to be a two-year assignment, and we'd just go up there, live in housing there, leave all of our furniture and, and things behind, and come back in about two years. And that's what we told our parents, and they were like, oh, I guess we can live with that. But it ended up we did stay an extra two years because at the end of the, the first two years, we thought, well, we've just started building relationships. We're just seeing leaders uh, stepping up. 
And so we wanted to stay another at least two years uh, to see those relationships grow and those leaders grow and develop. But at the end of our fourth year, we felt like God was calling us to step back, to let native New Englanders who had stepped up as leaders really lead and not become dependent on us. So Matthew was given the opportunity um, to come back home to Anniston and be the bivocational minister of music and discipleship at Greenbrier Road Baptist Church. So this is a picture of us actually at Pleasant Street Baptist Church where we served in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, we were church strengtheners through the, through the North American Mission Board. We were mission service for missionaries, which meant that we raised our own support. We didn't get any support through North American Mission Board other than just administrative um, things like that, but they did not give us any money. So the pastor and his wife that were there doing basically everything with their family from janitorial work to the nursery to the music to preaching to Bible study to children's workers, they were like, oh, you guys want to come up and work for us for free? And so they were happy about that. <laughs> but um, we did have to go through an application process and be approved and all of that. But it was a great experience. It really opened our eyes to what ministry looks like in a situation like this, an inner city where you're working with all the different kinds of people from homeless to recovering drug addicts to people right out of prison um, to just normal, what we would call regular people, middle class. Um, all and, and also a lot of different international people as well from different cultures. So it was really a great experience. It was really hard, much harder to leave there to come back home than it was to go in the first place. But we did come, and we feel like this has been a good four years of service to this area, uh, of equipping, being under the, the guidance of Brad Williams, our pastor at Greenbrier Road. And, um, but we felt that God was calling us to go again. We, we always felt like we would probably go again. So um, I'm going to show you a little video now about what it's like to serve in New England. And I'm gonna let, I think I might have messed up there. I clicked it. But I'm going to let this uh, gentleman show the video about serving in New England and the needs that are there. Love takes people from all over the world. 
Now we are from a Southern Baptist church. Greenbrier will be our sending church. And I have a few statistics just to share with you about what the Southern Baptist church looks like. And it's probably similar to other denominations. Did you know that less than 1% of Southern Baptists are on the mission field associated with the North American Mission Board or the International Mission Board? 97% of Southern Baptist churches in America have never planted churches and a majority have never sent out a missionary. Now, I know this church is a church plant, so you guys know how to do this, and you might feel called to start another church here or somewhere else. A group of you might feel that call. So I know we're talking to some people with experience with that. But the bottom line is more people are going to have to answer the call to go, even if they aren't funded by mission entities like North American Mission Board or IMB or E3 or any of those kind of things, so that the world may know him, that the world may know Jesus. We know that we may never get a salary, a full salary or benefits or anything with this job, but we do have other skills. I have taught school. Matthew has done swimming pool and spa service business uh, work. And so we have other skills that we're, we're willing to use to support ourselves, along with getting support from churches and individuals like you. But J.D. Greer said something at the Send North America conference that I was able to go to a few years ago that really stuck with me. And he says, do what you do best for the glory of God. Do it somewhere strategic for the kingdom of God. So what is it that you do best? What do you do for the glory of God? And where can you do it to build his kingdom? Think about that. Now, when you think about Vermont, which is where we're going, what do you think about? Do you think about the beautiful scenery, the fall colors, the little white churches? Uh, do you think about Cabot cheese or maple syrup? Do you think about the snow and ski, skiing and all those fun things, sledding and, and going to ski resorts and things like that? What do you think about? Do you think about those things? But do you think about the lostness that's there? Here are a, a few statistics. Vermont is the least churched and least religious state in the United States. Alabama is the second most religious state, tied with Utah and behind Mississippi. How many Southern Baptist churches are there in Vermont? There are only 35, okay? And there are, all, there are other churches, but in Montpelier, those churches, for the most part, are not biblically sound. They accept and affirm everyone and everything. Okay? So we want to go and be a presence of Christ there and represent him and show people that we love them, that we accept them, but that there is sin and that there is salvation through Christ. Um, but in our county, there are 89 to 90 Southern Baptist churches here. This area, Calhoun County, is the most churched area per capita in the United States. So we have a lot of churches here. We have a lot of people in them. And like I said before, we need some of them to answer the call and go, which a lot, some of them do, but we need more. So the lostness in Vermont is great. Now, one of the 
people that we met while we were in Massachusetts. His name is Landon Warren, and he serves in Vermont. He is a lead church planter there, and he is the person that we got in touch with when we felt the call back to New England because Matthew has continued to have Vermont particularly on his heart since we've been gone, and both of us New England for sure. So we're going to show you a video now about Landon and his story.
not a great story of what somebody that didn't have any experience with church planting could do to help a village turn back to God. Well, we're going again to help another family that's been there in Montpelier for about a year trying to plant Capital Community Church. And their names are the Smiths, and you see their picture here. And they're about our age, and they have three kids like us. And when we went and met with them, we felt a connection. And we thought, okay, this may be who God is leading us to work with. Now, in Montpelier, it is very liberal there. Vermont is the most liberal state in the United States, which means they believe in individual freedoms, anything goes. And Montpelier is no different. It is the capital city of Vermont. So a lot of political things happen there. It's got a, a lot of energy there. And you know, with the election coming up, it's going to be quite interesting to be there uh, this year, especially if one of their candidates may be running. So um, we met with the Smiths, and we went through the process of being approved through the North American Mission Board. Matthew will be a church planting intern for a year, and I will be a church planting team member. And after that year, we'll have a decision to make whether we want to continue with the Smiths and Capital Community Church or we may be able to go and start a new church in, in the area somewhere in Vermont. So we definitely need your prayers on guidance and wisdom and discernment on that decision that will be coming up. But Austin was born in Mississippi, grew up a lot of his childhood in Mississippi, but also moved to Vermont and lived there some of his childhood moved back to Mississippi, but about a couple of years ago, he felt the call to return to Vermont and help the people there know about Jesus. Now, their family right now is pretty much doing everything just like the family that we helped in Worcester. They're meeting in their home on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights for worship and Bible study right now. It's very difficult to find a, a public place to have worship in Montpelier because of the government obstacles, we would be seen as discriminatory. And so we could never rent a government building like a, a school. So, and real estate is very expensive there. So we do need your prayers on finding a public place to worship as well. Now, their vision for the church really aligned with the vision that God, we felt God was giving us to, to work with churches and to start churches. And that was to have small missional communities meeting together weekly and then coming together as a corporate group maybe once a month and worshiping together. And when we heard the Smiths' vision, and we knew what our vision was, we knew that God was putting us together to work together towards making people in Vermont know about Jesus. So... This time, we're going, and we're going long-term. We really want to stay at least seven years, and we may stay longer than that. Um, a little bit more about Montpelier. There are about 8,000 people there in the city, and there are about 60,000 in the surrounding areas. There is one Southern Baptist church in the town, but it's very traditional. It's a white building with a steeple and stained glass, and not everybody in that community is going to feel comfortable going there. There are a lot of people in Vermont that are nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They have no spiritual beliefs at all, or they're duns, D-O-N-E-S. They're done with church. They've been there. They don't want to go back. They've been hurt. And so we have to reach out to those people. And I'm not saying that a traditional church can't meet those needs, but 
We feel like we need to be non-traditional. We need to be creative. We need to be unique. But above all else, we need to be genuine. We need to be genuine and have the heart. Uh, let them see Christ through us and see our hearts that we really love them and believe what we say we believe. All right. Just a few more things, and then I'll turn it over to Matthew. One thing that Ashley Smith said to me, the wife of the church planner up there, that really convinced me that we needed to go is she said this, I believe that just having another family who truly loves Jesus and longs to see people come to Christ living and working in the community is going to make such a, a difference. So again, we want to be a presence in the community representing Christ. Here's just a few pictures of Montpelier. And I want to end by just talking a little bit about freedom. Like I said, people in Vermont believe in freedom. They believe in individual freedom. But we know as Christians that true freedom comes through a relationship with Christ where forgiveness of sin sets us free to live for him and not for the world. The cost of living is high in Vermont. Matthew will be receiving $1,000 a month through the North American Mission Board. But we do have to raise the rest of our support from gifts and from jobs. It's going to be hard there. That's one of the reasons that the cost of living is high. People are hard to crack through their shells there. But I am reminded of a couple of Bible verses. One comes from Romans 10, 14 through 15. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear about someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And also Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we in no way are boasting in ourselves for doing this. We are boasting in the Lord for what he is going to do and what he's already done through the Smiths and what hopefully he has is preparing people and opening their hearts and minds that we can go and meet and tell about Jesus and they will come to know him as well. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now. All right. A lot of times I talk to people and, um, and I tell them what we're doing and they say, well, I could never do that. For this reason or this reason or whatever. And Catherine and I feel a freedom to go do this. Now, we, we don't feel, I mean, yeah, there are, there are hindrances. There are certainly relationships that, um, that we don't want to necessarily uh, leave behind. But, you know, with today's technology, we can continue a lot of relationships, right? Okay. Let's go. Um, I've got a couple of scriptures. If you guys would stand. See if I can figure out the scripture. And if you would, let's read these scriptures together, okay? Starting with uh, this one here. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift or the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, 22, 23. All right, next one. You guys can do better than that, I know. All right, here we go from Galatians. For you are called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians 5.13. Um, and this is the one that I'm going to basically share from today. This is from John, and uh, he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8.31-32. All right, you may be seated. So, kind of going to work backwards a little bit with this scripture. Um, the last word of the, of the verse is true, right? Okay, so Jesus was talking to people that had recently believed in him, and there were also Pharisees there, and so he says, you need to be true. And they said, true from what? What do you mean true? So they said, we, you know, we don't have any shackles, we don't have any any uh, handcuffs? I mean, we look around this room, we don't see any handcuffs or shackles, right? I mean, you guys, I haven't seen you raise your hands a whole lot, but I'm just kidding, that's okay. I'm, I'm betting there aren't any handcuffs in the room. So what are we talking about here? We need to be free. Free from what? We need to be free not only here physically. We are free. We, we prize that. We, we, we love that about our country. We need to be free here in our minds. We need to be free here in our hearts. And so if, if we, we decide that we really do want to be free, um, how do we do that? Well, right before that it says, the truth will set you free. So who, who what, where, what is truth? John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the truth is Jesus. How does Jesus set us free? Right before that it says, You'll know the truth. All right, so knowing the truth sets us free, right? How do we go about knowing the truth? And what does it mean to know the truth? Is it talking about knowing it here? It's talking about knowing it here. To know something intimately is to experience it. In fact, one particular translation of the Bible actually replaces the term know for experience. It says you will experience the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's not just to know here, it's to know here. When you really know someone, I think back to a, uh, a Bible study that we did where uh, you may have heard of uh, a man named Craig Rochelle, who's a, a, a pastor, author, teacher. Anyway, he says, you know, when somebody calls, and his last name is spelled G-R-O-E-S-C-H-E-L. He says, when somebody calls me up on the phone and they say, Hello, man, speak to Mr. Rachel. I say, he says, that person doesn't know me. I say, when you, when you see somebody at church and they say, hey, Pastor Craig, how you doing? You know, he's like, okay, so they know me. They At least they know who I am. And he says, so that's, that's a second level there, you know. It's a little bit deeper knowledge. You know, my wife calls me Craig, so she obviously knows me better than anybody. He said, but if I see somebody out somewhere at Walmart or wherever, and they say, yo, Roach, like, that person knows me from a long time ago before Christ, <laughs> back when alcohol was a lot more involved in his life than it was then, Roach. So anyway, there's different levels of knowing God. We need to know God on the most intimate level. So how do we do that? Well, let's go back to the beginning of the verse where it says, 
if you abide in my word. So abiding in his word evidently will help us know him. And then if we know him, he can set us free. Um, abides, that's kind of a funny word, right? If you say it enough times, it becomes funny. Abide, abide, abide. Anyway, it's not abide by his word, right? It doesn't say if you abide by my words. Abide, that's what I think of. When I think of abide, I think of like, I've got to abide by the law, right? That's not what this is saying. It's not saying that we've got to keep this list of rules. It's not saying that we've got to do everything that we're supposed to do. It's saying abide in my word. That means to immerse ourselves, to continue in it, to remain in it. If you abide in your home, what does that mean? You stay in there, right? You're living there. That's where you stay. That's where you live. That's where you abide, okay? So we've got to be in his, in his word. We've got to live there. That's got to be where we are in our lives. So how do we go about abiding in his word? This is kind of the hard part. This is where, like, our personal effort comes in, right? Jesus took 99 steps towards us. we got to take one toward him. And this is the effort that it takes from us. We've got to get to know him. We've got to get in his word, and we've got to spend time with him. I want to look at a couple other scriptures um, that talk about how we spend time with him. You know, Jesus, I'll tell you what, while I'm talking about this, let's, uh, let's turn, page, uh, turn to page 143. How about Psalm 143? Get my eyes checked. Psalm 143, we're going to be looking at verse 8. Now, Jesus went away in the mornings. Uh, he went by himself to pray. He, uh, you know, there's a lot of psalms that talks about the morning. So if you're going to have a day with the Lord, let's say you wanna, you, your goal is to have a, a complete full day with the Lord, where does it start? In the morning, right? And you guys are welcome to speak back to me. I don't know if that's normal here, but, but um, I would encourage that. So if, if I can translate, we can say in the morning. That would be great. No, but seriously, it starts in the morning. If you, if you wait till 10 or 11 o'clock in the day to have your time with God, you've missed part of the day. And so you can't have a full day with God if you've already missed the first part. So let's look at Psalm 143, starting with verse 8. It says, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Right? So let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. You're going to see a recurring theme here. Let's flip over to Psalm 90. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14. It's on page 497 in my Bible. That was a joke. Here we go. Looking at starting at verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So there we go again. Satisfy us in the morning. Just real quick, I want to go back to verse 12 for just a moment. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You guys want to be wise, right? We want to have a heart of wisdom. Well, ask God to teach you to number your days. What does that mean, number our days? That means, I don't know if you know this or not, but your days are numbered. The sooner you realize that, 
better your life will be. If you make the most out of every day that you have, every minute that you have for Christ. When we number our days for the Lord, we make the most for his glory out of each moment that we have. Going back down to verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. We should be satisfied with God. We should be satisfied with Christ. You know, he loved us. Even though he knew how filthy we were going to be, how nasty we were going to be, all the nasty things that we would do, all the, all the sins that, that we commit, he loved us no matter what. That steady love. Catherine referenced J.D. Greer. I, I want to reference him again because he put out this book called Gospel Revolution, and it's just really a charge to go back and concentrate on the gospel. And it says, uh, he's got like a gospel prayer in it or something, but, um, but not like a sinner's prayer. This is more like, things you start off with in the morning to get you focused on God. And the first thing it says, and I do this with my kids. I should have done it with Jacob while he was up here. It would say, God says to you, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. So when you think about that, like I ask my kids, I say, you know I love you, right? I say, yes, sir. I say, you know why I love you? Now that because I've done it so much, they say, because I'm your son. I say, that's right. Because you're my son. And that doesn't mean that the relationship is not going to be strained from time to time. It doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect and smooth sailing from here until they're out of my house. But they know that the love is constant. And that's the way it is with God. You know, his love is constant. It does not change. That's that, that term, steadfast love. It's the same throughout. And so no matter what we've done, it's there for us. We can access his love. And we love because he first loved us. So you may be sitting there going, man, that kind of stinks. I, I don't really love people like I should. You know, I don't know if you've ever been there before. I certainly have. I had to deal with that before we moved to Massachusetts. Um, really, while I was in the process of, of, I really, I asked God <laughs> to reveal his great plan for my life. And I said, come on, God, just show me. Show me what you want me to do. And so for two weeks straight, I just prayed like every, every, every chance I got. Come on, God, show me, show me, show me, show me. And all of a sudden, one day, it was like a ton of bricks hit me. And it said, you're not spending time with me. You're not doing the little things that I've already asked you to do, like getting in the word and praying and seeking my face. So why in the world would I reveal to you some big plan that I've got for your life? We've got to get to know him first, and that means spending time with him. So if you don't love, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? It's about perspective. It's about how we look at things in our lives. It's about our motivations. Um, you know, what's important to you, you will spend time on, right? Have you ever heard, um, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. You didn't know love started with a T, did you? It does. Absolutely it does. Whatever you love, you will spend time on. Whatever's important to you, you will spend time on. Sometimes that's a job, and that's a necessity, but you still got to spend time on it. If it's not super important to you, you make a change. You make time for your hobby, you know, things that are enjoyable. That's okay. Nothing wrong with a hobby. But if it's getting between you and God and spending time with him, it's a problem. You know, you can make time for family and friends, and that's great. I definitely encourage that. But if that comes between you and God, you've got to reevaluate what's going on in your life. So if you 
If you want to develop a relationship with someone, you spend time with them, right? You, you want to listen to them. You want to hear their hopes and their dreams, right? You spend time with God to hear what he's got to say to you. And that doesn't mean coming in the morning and saying, okay, here, God, here we go. Here's my list of things that I need from you, God. Thank you, bye. We've got to have a hunger and a thirst for his righteousness. We want to be satisfied of what scripture says. You know, Matthew uh, in chapter 5, the Beatitudes, says, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Or there's some version of that that says, for they shall be satisfied. And so we want to be satisfied. Maybe we're not searching for the right things. Maybe we're not hungering and thirsting for the right things. When is enough enough unless it's in Christ? So Matthew 6, 33, are we seeking his kingdom? You know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are we seeking his kingdom? Are we seeking his righteousness? Um, you know, I'm going back to the hungering and thirsting and seeking. I'm a lot of times just focused on filling a hollow spot in my cup. You know, instead of, focus, I mean, I get up in the morning, I'm like, do I go spend time with God? Do I go find something to put in my stomach? Not that, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want me to eat. Like, I, I do eat, I do eat a lot. It's just, you know, it's, you guys, let's get that clear. I'm not like in a five-year fast or anything like that. But, you know, I am a Baptist, so I, you know, got to eat. And fried chicken preferably. But Jesus said if we would seek his kingdom, we seek his righteousness, we would be satisfied. And all our earthly needs will be met, our earthly needs, not our earthly wants, earthly needs. And, you know, too, it didn't say seek ye first a wonderful church, right? I, you know, when I go through this verse, I go back to old King James, okay? It has to be seek ye first, you know? It's just the way it is. But it doesn't say seek first uh, a wonderful church. It says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You get plugged in to a wonderful church where you can serve with a wonderful body of believers, then great church happens. So we're talking about what we like, we spend time on, what is the delight of our heart. We're going we're gonna to abide where our hearts are delighted, right? Psalm 37, 4. A lot of people don't know the first part of the verse. We know this last part of the verse, which says, God will give you the desires of your heart, right? So a lot of people look at that and they're like, Solomon said, God will give me the desires of my heart. So here we go. That's pretty sweet, right? Blank check from God. What does it say? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If, you're, if the desires of your heart are him and his righteousness, he will give it to you. And you'll have a great time being satisfied in the Lord. You know, what are you, I want you guys to just think about right now, like, what are you abiding in in your life? What are you, what are you delighting in? Um, is, it, is it your house? Is it your car? Is it your family? Is it your hobbies? You know, maybe it's even something like alcohol or some other kind of more obvious sin. Um, you know, I was talking with some young guys about this the other day, and I'm not here to, like, bash alcohol or talk about things like that, but young guy asked me, he said, he said, I don't think there's anything wrong with um, just having a drink. He said, especially if I'm in my house by myself at the end of the day, nobody knows what I'm doing. 
I get I come home from work, I want to sit down, and nobody knows it's just me. And I said, well, that's that's cool. I said, why are you doing that? Well, because I, I want to unwind. I got to unwind after work. It's a stressful day, you know. Just want to unwind. I said, no, God wants to be that for you. God wants to be where you go for that, for that comfort, for that relaxation, for that unwinding at the end of the day, you know. Why don't we go to God? I'm guilty of myself. I had to deal with all this before I come share it with y'all, you know. Why don't we go to God first instead of last? God wants to satisfy us. He set it up. so He's even set it up so that we turn to him, you know, so that we choose him. That's the thing, too, about this relationship between us and God. It's like, wouldn't you rather be in a relationship with somebody that's choosing to be with you? I mean, obviously, he's almighty God. He could, like, snap his fingers right now, and we'd all be standing up going, holy, 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 holy. You know, sorry, I probably should have put both arms up there. It's the beauty of the wireless headset. Sorry, nobody put a picture out of me being how I hit one there. But, um. The point is, God could make us all come to him, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but God gets pleasure out of us choosing him. You know, just like you get pleasure or got pleasure at some point in your life by somebody of the, of the opposite sex choosing you, God gets pleasure from us choosing him. So, have you seen God at work? Hey, you guys have seen God at work here. I saw portable baptistry in the back back here. God is at work here. Right? You know what he can do? Because he's in the business of changing lives, right? So that's why we're going. Catherine and I, we, we believe that God is asking us to go. And because we've seen him work, it makes it that much easier. You know, when we were at Pleasant Street, we saw him work in tremendous ways. And uh, we've seen him work at Greenbrier as well. But there's a lot of people in this area to tell people about Jesus. This is how I had to explain it to my 89-year-old grandmother who, who said, Vermont, you're not going out there. I said, I am going out there. And, and she said, you're not taking those grandbabies. Yes, ma'am, I absolutely am not. She said, you can go, but don't take those grandbabies. I said, well, I'm sure that my mom would be super thrilled with that. But... I said, you know, my mom, she lives over in Abel community. She's lived there for 73 years. And um, I said, you know, everybody in this neighborhood, in this community, knows about Jesus. And if they don't, there's plenty of people here to tell them about. I said, people up there and where, and where we're going in Vermont, they don't know. They worship the creation more than the creator. And, you know, what they know of church and Christianity is condemnation. And they don't know the love. They don't see the love. They, they see a list of rules to keep. They see stained glass intimidation. And they see people marching with signs that have a big circle and two guys on it with their legs crossed. And yes, we will stand on principles of the Lord up there. But we will not be beating people over the head and telling them they're going to hell. We will share lovingly with people about a Savior who came and gave his life for them. Um, you know, you think about how, how Jesus, he didn't just risk his life for us. You know, think about it from time to time. You might have had a situation where somebody risked their life for you. Like you can imagine 
somebody was standing in the middle of the street, and they had dropped something in the middle of the street, and they go to pick it up, and here comes a car, and you know, it's maybe somebody who pushed them out of the way. And so both people are saved. Awesome, right? News story at 10 p.m. Jesus didn't just push you out of the way. He pushed you out of the way and then took the car. He took it all. So I don't know which is more impressive, that Christ would come and be obedient enough to the Father to live a sinless life and then die for us, give his life for us, or that the Father would love us enough to give his own son for us. You know, I don't know which one of those is more impactful to me. I kind of go back and forth. When I hold my children in my arms, the love of the Father impacts me. I think when I first came out to the waiting room with Taylor 11 years ago, I thought there is no way I'm giving this boy up for people I love the most. I mean, my mom and my dad, my brother, I'm not giving him up for them. Much less somebody who's going to kick me in the back or spit in my face. That's what we do to God, you know. We say, God, save me. Give me, give me, God. Thank you. Goodbye. We turn our backs on him. As soon as he helps us through whatever situation we're in, we're guilty. I'm guilty of that. Why is God not top priority in my life? You know, John Piper talks about how God looked at us and said, I want that person in my family. He said, I want that man in my family. He said, I, I want that woman in my family. He said, I would do anything to get that person in my family. He said, I would pay to have that person in my family with my son's life. Now, what kind of love is that? You know, if we can't be motivated by that kind of love, then there's something going on in our hearts. There's a problem there. We've got to evaluate. So going back to freedom, if we really want to be free, we want to be free from sin. We want to be free from condemnation. We want to be free from the American dream. We want to be free from everything that this society says that we should be. We commit ourselves to serving God, not just in deed, but in spirit. Committing to abide in his word and completely surrendering to him. Dad, I'm going to give over to him. Thank you. You know, I love the fact that Matthew got up here and talked to you guys as God's called him to this unusual place. We would say unusual place, right? In Vermont, he got up here and talked to you guys about abiding in God's word. And that indeed will set you free. And that really speaks to me because they're talking about the place that they're going in the Northeast being some of the, uh, the least church places in the world. And, and I have had experience with this. I was not too far from Worcester, Massachusetts. One time, my, my family and I had to move to Boston for six weeks, and we stayed in Boston. And he's right. The people there look at Christianity like it's, like it's condemnation. They don't see it as freedom. They don't see following Christ as freedom. They see it as condemnation. They see the way that the Christians are, are, are very aggressive in putting other people down and all this kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, I had a personal experience with this. I was in Boston, I was waiting on the subway that runs through Boston, and I was in a rough part of town, right, and I was there by myself, they had locked the gates where you go up to actually stand near the tracks, so I, I had to wait on the train to get there and wait on somebody to open the gates and all this kind of stuff, and I'm standing there, 
And I've actually got a Christian t-shirt on. Now, I'm not a Christian t-shirt kind of guy, typically. I mean, it just so happened that somebody had given me one, and I wear it, and I was in Boston wearing a Christian t-shirt. And I wanted people to ask me about it. But this one guy that asked me about it, he's not the guy I had in mind uh, when I had prayed that God would give me an opportunity to talk to somebody. He sees me from a long way off, and he's, he's kind of a rough-looking dude. And he's eyeing me. Like, you know, when somebody makes eye contact with you from a long way off, this guy makes eye contact with me, and he's riding a bicycle. And he looks really rough, and I'm standing there, and I, I make eye contact with him, and then I kind of look to the side, you know, and I'm standing there like, come on, train, we're waiting, da, 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 da. and then I look back, he's still there, he's making eye, so then he gets on his bicycle, and he rides toward me, right? He, he started, in my heart, okay, good, I got, I got nothing, you know, I, I, unless I'm going to fight him with a... Uh, American Express card. I don't know what I'm going to fight him with. But anyway, so he's, he's like riding towards me, and I'm kind of nervous about it. And he gets up to me, and the first thing he does is he looks down at my T-shirt. And this is what he says to me. No joke. This is what the guy says to me. He goes, they make you wear that? I said, first, I didn't know who he was talking. I was like, who is they, and why are they making me wear a shirt? I don't know. But he said, they make you wear that? I said, I said, no, man, I, I, I choose to wear this. I said, to show people that I love Jesus. And he looks at me, <laughs> and I thought, well, here's where it's fixing to go down. You know, he, he probably has this very negative perception of Christians. And he looks at me, and he goes, that's pretty cool. And he just gets on his bike and rides off. Uh, now, that's, that's not like some wonderful story where Kenny led this rough-looking guy to Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't even really have the opportunity because, for one, my heart was beating out of my chest and I thought he was fixing to kill me. But I can tell you this, though. God has used that particular situation in my life over and over to show me that there are a lot of people inside the confines of these borders in the United States that don't know Jesus. They don't know what he's about. They don't know what Christianity is all about. They don't want to know what it means to follow Christ. They don't know anything really about what what Romans 8 says, and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They don't understand that. They don't have any concept of it. And I am so thankful for people like Matthew that say, you know what, there is freedom in Christ. This is what Matthew told me. He said, people ask me all the time. We were at, at breakfast the other day. He said, there are people all the time that ask me, why do you do this, man? Why, why do you go to this place and, and do this thing? He says, because we genuinely believe that if people don't die, if they die without knowing Jesus Christ, that they'll go to hell. And that's plain and simple. And that's like, that's what it's about. It's about going and telling and making disciples and teaching them all that Jesus has commanded them. And Jesus says, if you do that, I'll be with you. I'll be with you every single step of the way. That's Matthew 28. So we're going to have a time of response for you. If God has called you to reach somebody, maybe it's your next door neighbor. Maybe it's somebody on the other side of the world and God has just convicted your heart over it through, through what Matthew has shared. Then I, I pray that you would come and, and surrender that to Jesus Christ and say, God, wherever you'll take me, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I'll surrender everything to you. I made that commitment in my life when it came to surrendering to ministry. And I, I said, God, wherever you want, whatever you want to do, I don't, I'm having a tough time believing that you could call me to be a pastor. But if that's what you want me to do, I commit my life to doing that. And that was on a Super Bowl Sunday. And it wasn't too awful long ago. It was less than 10 years ago, as a matter of fact. And, and I, I stepped back now and I said, look what God can do. 
He really can do great things in your life if you surrender completely and totally and say, God, whatever you want to do. You talk about, he was, he was jokingly talking about God giving you a blank check. I mean, we in our lives are supposed to give God a blank check. We're supposed to say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I don't care if I don't have a job, I don't care if I don't have a place to live. God, if you want me to go to this place, if you want me to share this good news of your kingdom, I'll go and I'll do it. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and maybe that's what, that's what God is just calling you to obey him and follow him to a particular place or to a particular person. I just pray that you would be obedient. If God is calling you to a relationship with him because you know that you don't, you don't abide in him, you don't abide in his word, you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with him, and you want to have a relationship with him, come and talk to me. I'd love to tell you what it means to be a Christ follower and a follower of Jesus. Uh, I, I would love to tell you what it means to be a Christian and tell you how you can do that. Whatever God's convicting you of, maybe you've got heartbreak in your life and you just need to fall down at the foot of Jesus at the foot of the cross and say, God, I just need you to rescue me right now because... I've got heartache, and I, I, I need your healing, and I know that peace only comes from you. Whatever the case may be, I invite you to come. Would you stand as we pray together? Father, Lord, we do love you. God, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to serve you in every single capacity. Uh, Lord, there are people here. Lord, there may be somebody here. That, God, you've called them to the mission field. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Maybe somebody here has been so impacted by the idea that there are people out there that don't know you, they've never heard the good news of your gospel. Maybe you're calling them to the mission field, and they know that, and their heart's beating out of their chest right now. Well, God, I pray, Lord, that you would not let up on them, that their Holy Spirit would continue to convict and continue to guide and continue to just crush their heart, God, until they respond to you. Lord, and then maybe if there's somebody here, they don't have a relationship with you, and maybe you're calling them to salvation, and, and they... Just they don't know what it means to be a Christian completely. They don't understand all the ins and outs. Well, God, I didn't understand what it meant to be a pastor either. But I committed my life to following you. And whatever you had planned for me, God, I was going to be obedient to it. I pray, Lord, that that person maybe would come and just say, Kenny, I want to know what it means to be a Christian. I would love to tell them what it means to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of their life. And God, for those that are hurting, God, I know that people come to church every single day. Lord, and they just need a, a healing touch from you, God, because their hearts are broken. God, maybe they're in need of physical healing, but I know that if they're in phys need of physical healing, they're also in need of healing of their hearts. God, I pray that they would come and just find you. God, that they would just come and meet with you and bring all their burdens and their heartache and their hurts. They would bring it all to you. God, thank you for being a God who hears us. Thank you for being a God who speaks to us. God, we are so moved, God, by what you have said to us today. And I pray now that we would be obedient. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this time. It all belongs to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.